Dear God, thank you for the chosen lady that you have raised up on this planet for such a time as this. Not by accident, not by happenstance, but by divine decree. As a community of faith here on the campus of Andrews University, we have plunged into the gospel, the fourth gospel. We go back to it today. Fall break notwithstanding, we go back to it today. Oh God, don't let us miss what Christ our Lord would teach us through this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you about a story I read in an English newspaper online just a few days ago. Sarah and Rob Salthouse from the village of Churchtown. Never heard of this village. Churchtown, England. And to have their baby through the services of midwifery or midwifery, they were planning to have their baby last week at home with a professional coach to come in and do the delivering. But early, last Thursday, early Thursday morning, Sarah's water broke. You can picture it. And before the mobile midwife could arrive, the baby did. So here you have, trying to swallow his panic, her young husband, Rob, who calls the midwife unit at the hospital, gets them on the speakerphone of, the hosp- uh, of, of his cell phone. The only accoutrements he has are a, a plastic sheet and some clean towels on the lounge floor. I don't know if that's a living room or the family room. Those of you from England could help us. On the lounge floor, he has it all spread out. And while he's listening to the voice inside the speakerphone, step by step, Rob, who has never dreamed of doing this in his life, goes through the motions. And you guessed it, a few, I don't know how long it was, but a few moments later, he is cradling in his arms, seven pounds, seven ounces, a little baby boy they named Harry. Wow. I tell you what, all three of them, I'm sure, collapsed. Father, mother, and son. Now, a few days later, Sarah, Mother Sarah went into the hospital to thank everybody, come to find out that when he put that call in, the entire midwifery or midwifery unit was assembled. And one of them was giving the instructions and they're all with bated breath listening. And so they gave, they gave Father Rob an A-plus for delivery, probably a C-minus for form. You really don't want to do it on the floor. Put a picture of the family. Did you already do that? Oh, there they are. Look at it. Is he happy or what? You made it. Once upon a time in a very late night conversation, Jesus spoke about being born. And as it turned out, His words would become the most sublime and provocative account given anywhere about how it is that a man or a woman or a child is, as they say, saved. Or as He says, born again. Open your Bible with me, please, to the fourth Gospel. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. Let's go. The last word, the fourth gospel for our final generation. Today is part six. Delighted to have all of you who are watching on live streaming. Wherever you are in the nation or world, we're honored to have you. Be a part of the journey. You'll see everything we see on the screens. You see it as well. Grab your Bible where, where you are and open with me, please, to the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, the very famous John chapter 3. I'm in the New King James Version. If you didn't bring a Bible, pull the Pew Bible out. You've got to track this in your Pew Bible. Pull it out. Let me give you the page number, page 715. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. Here we go, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler 
of the Jews. Now, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at. Doesn't it seem rather odd that John would write this? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. I mean, come on, John. Why did you just say there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus and a ruler of the Jews? John intentionally inserts one word in the Greek, anthropos, from whence comes our word anthropology, the study of man. John, why this excess, why, why this, this extra inclusion? Ah, because John, John is tapping into a literary device. He needs us to remember the, the immediately preceding words in chapter 2. Look, when John, wrote, when John wrote the gospel, there were no chapters, there were no verses. It just went line, 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 line. So we, the, word, the, the word man takes us back. Look at the last lines of chapter 2. We were there last Sabbath. Now when he, this is verse 23, now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover, remember, cleansing of the temple, last Sabbath, now, when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But, verse 24, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew, he knew all people, says all men. It's an inserted word. Verse 25, and had no need that anyone should testify of man. There's the code word, of man. He had no need of anybody testifying of man, for he knew what was in man. Twice. So now here comes number three. Only when we read the two lines back to back. Ah! Jesus knew how fickle the human heart who one day can shout out Hosanna and the very next day cry out, crucify Him. He knew what was in the heart of man. Nobody needed to tell Him. All these people flocking to Him because of the miracles. He knows the heart. He doesn't trust. The, the, the verbal ascent. He knows the heart of every man, woman, and child. So, when John inserts man, there was a man, he's saying, hey, 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 this is to let you know, Jesus already knows what is in Nicodemus' heart. He already knows. Let's see how he, let's see how he responds to what he knows. Let's read it again. There was a man, this is verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of of the Jews. Now, Pharisees, come on, we all know the Pharisees, the religious conservatives of the day, strictly orthodox, deeply concerned about the purity of the people. They were the rabbis and teachers of the community of faith. Nicodemus was one of them. But he was not just a Pharisee. Notice how John adds, he was also a ruler of the Jews. Do you know what that means? Nicodemus had one of the coveted 71 seats on the Supreme Court of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. He isn't just a Pharisee. He is in the inner circle. Wow. Jesus, are you impressed? You have someone with such high ecclesiastical status coming to visit you, humble Galilean. But John says, hey, hey, don't get all excited about his rank. Jesus already knows what's in him. Verse 2. So this man came to Jesus by night. I mean, one can't be too careful in protecting one's reputation, can one? Shh! Don't let anybody know I'm here. So this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Oh, by the way, come on, a teacher? Rabbi, we know you are a teacher sent from God. Nicodemus, you wouldn't be coming to him if he were just a teacher, now would you? There's something in your mind and heart, Nicodemus, that recognizes this is an unusual human being. Why don't you just go ahead and say it, Nicodemus? 
Four male Jews have already said it this early in the gospel story. John the Baptist says he's the Messiah. Andrew says he's the Messiah. Philip says he's the Messiah. Nathaniel says he's the Messiah. So it wouldn't be too terribly radical for you, Nicodemus, to say it as well, but he won't. He hides behind. Well, we know. We've seen all these miracles you do. You have to be a teacher sent from God. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. But no one, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus comes for a late night tete-a-tete conversation. Jesus turns it into a midnight altar call. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Would you please take out your new study guide? Because what is about to follow is so essential to your Christian journey that we have to get it down on paper. Come on, pull that study guide out. Here come the ushers. Hold your hand up. If you need a study guide, they're coming your way. Hold your hand up. Take this study guide. And while they're getting the study guide, see you up in the balcony as well. I want to welcome all of you who are watching live streaming or watching on television. We're delighted you're here. Listen, you can get the same study guide. Let me put our website on the screen for you. You go to that website. You can get the study guide. You see it on the screen. There it is. You see it. www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for the series, The Last Word. This turns out to be part six in The Last Word. You say, come on, Dwight, I haven't seen the first five. Well, the first five are all sitting there. Videocast, podcast. You can download them at your leisure. But this is number six. Born Again, Again. Click onto that title, Born Again, Again. And and, and it'll say uh, study guide there. Click study guide. You'll have the same study guide. This study guide, what you're about to write, you want to lock away in your heart. So get the study guide. If they're coming by and you didn't get a study guide, make sure you get this one. This is an important study guide. I hope you'll share it with others along the way. But before we get in any further into the study guide, let me put some words from the book, this classic on the life of Jesus called The Desire of Ages. Let me put these words, and you'll have to fill the words out in your study guide. Let's put them on the screen. Speaking of this moment, this midnight conversation. In the interview with Nicodemus, Jesus unfolded the plan of salvation and his mission to the world in none of his subsequent discourses. Now, that's pretty heavy. You know what that's saying? Nothing he will say beyond this moment. Never again, whatever he says, in none of his subsequent discourses did he explain so fully. And would you write this down, please? Step by step. Step by step. Never again did he explain so fully, step by step, the work necessary to be done in the hearts of all who would inherit the kingdom of heaven. Step by step. And so with your permission for the next few moments, let's examine a step-by-step analysis of this midnight conversation. We'll take it apart. Five steps are embedded in that conversation. Five steps. You learn these five steps, you're in the kingdom of heaven. If you take the five steps. Five steps. Let's go. Verse 3 again. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you. Now look, it. you can't tell it in the English, but in the Greek, this is a huge red flag waving now. Whenever in the New King James you run into most assuredly, if, if, wherever in the NIV you run into very truly, that means there are double words right there. The amen is repeated. So here's Jesus. Amen, amen, I say to you. Only John in the New Testament exercises that literary device 25 times in the fourth gospel. Double amen. 
Every time you run into that double amen, it's like John is saying, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down, preacher. Slow down, reader. This is huge. Don't miss it. Amen, amen. Look, they're talking Aramaic. But it's very close in Aramaic. Amen, amen. Very close. Amen, amen. Jesus says to Nicodemus, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he, she, cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nice try, Rabbi Nicodemus. You can't fool us. You know exactly what Jesus means. Craig Keener, the New Testament scholar, has carefully researched to show that the pagans knew the expression rebirth for a new beginning. The Greeks knew the the expression rebirth for a new beginning. The Jews knew the expression rebirth for a new beginning. Don't pretend like, well, do I have to get back into my mother's tummy? No, you know. You see, in Jewish theology, to be born a son of Abraham, though, and here's the though, to be born a son of Abraham was a virtual guarantee of admission into the kingdom of heaven. If I am a Jew, I'm in. No, 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 you Gentiles. Oh, for you Gentiles, it's very clear in their theology. No, you must be adopted. You must be rebirthed in order to get into heaven. But moi, me, Nicodemus is saying, you're talking about me? For a circumspect Jew to picture himself outside the circle of salvation was a huge affront. Thus, Nicodemus is flustered. He doesn't know what to say. He just said, well, can I kind of go back into my mother's tummy? He's just, he's just having to say something here. Jot it down, will you please? Step number one. Step number one. You must be born again. Now, the Greek word can be translated two different ways. And so, let's go ahead and be safe and write, you must be born from above. Get both phrases in. You must be born again. You must be born from above, because the Greek word anothen can be translated either way. That, that Nicodemus took it as again is clear from his, 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 his response. Wow, i got to go again? But that John may have meant it the other way is clear from verse 31 in the same chapter where it says, He who came from above. It, could, it doesn't make sense to say, He who came again. No, it's He who came from above. And so it leads, it leads, it leads us to wonder, maybe John intended both definitions To give rich meaning. Either way, step number one, you must be born again. You must be born from above. In other words, jot this down, will you please? Your life must experience a spiritual rebirth. Not a foreign concept. They knew it back then. Your life must experience. But let's forget about that back then. It's it's in the third millennium now. You and I, our lives must experience a spiritual rebirth. And what's that mean? Look at verse 5. Jesus answered. Oh boy, here comes another one. Amen, amen. Another double amen. Most assuredly, this is verse 5. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he, she, cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jot it down. Step number two. You must be born again of water. Write that in, please. You must be born again of water. The fourth gospel opens with John the baptizer in the Jordan River. And in this very chapter, in verse 23, it says John was near near Ainon because there was much water there. So water baptism is is, is bookended to this expression. 
So those scholars that are saying, well, we're not sure what of water means, I, I beg to differ with them. The water is embedded. The water of baptism is embedded right there. You see, the, the Pharisees, of which Nicodemus is one, they all went out to examine John the Baptist. They sent delegations out. Who, who is this thundering voice in the wilderness? Look at this guy baptizing everybody. Mark chapter 1 declares that John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance. And by the thousands, as it were, the masses of Palestine came to be baptized. They came to be baptized to John the Baptist. But when he makes the altar call to the Pharisees, they say, whoa, I'm not going forward. Because if a Pharisee went forward, it would be a tacit admission that I have something to repent of. And Pharisees don't want to have anything to repent of, at least in public. And so Jesus takes on the Pharisees in Matthew 20 and Luke 7, and he says, you rejected John's baptism. But he's not giving Nicodemus a pass. Nope, he's got a Pharisee right here, and he shoots it straight into that heart. He says, hey, listen, you want to be born again? You must be born of water. In fact, jot this down. No water baptism. No born again. That's what Jesus is saying. Some people say, well, no, no, that's what Jesus is saying. No water baptism, no born again. And by the way, no born again, no heaven. No heaven. You'll not go. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, water baptism is essential to your salvation. Some of you have been following Christ for many years, but you just kind of said, you know, this water baptism, it's a little inconvenient. I'm not going to do it. I'll follow Jesus, but I won't be baptized. My friend, you can't follow Jesus and not be baptized. He was baptized who needed no baptism. And he says, come follow me. Follow me. So if you have not been baptized yet, may I appeal strictly to you right now? If you have not been baptized yet, this is, the, this is the perfect moment for you to decide in your mind, you know what, Dwight, you're right. I need to be baptized. I'll, I'll make arrangements. I'll, I'll, I'll let somebody know. I must be baptized. Jesus said, no baptism, no born again, no born again, no heaven. I want to be baptized. But I want to broaden the appeal for one moment here. There are some of you here, watching, listening, present, who must be Rebaptized. Rebaptized. You say, come on, Dwight. No. You've lived in such a way that you have essentially declared to your world, I'm divorced from Christ. I no longer belong to Him. I know I got married to Christ once upon a time in the baptistry, but I'm not now. No. By your life, you have essentially made that admission. Listen, you know it. Your families know it. Your friends know it. Your colleagues at work know it. Or maybe only God knows it. But in your heart you know you severed the tie. I want to say to those of you in that category, I believe Jesus' words are just as pressing to you. You will not be reborn into My kingdom Unless you are rebaptized into me. Oh, come on, Dwight. I mean, it's just a cut. Get up. Get up. What, what are people going to think? Ah, that's the point. I'm too proud. I can't do it. What will they say? My friend, the issue is not what they will say. The issue is, what are you saying? It's time to write a new chapter in your life. And that new chapter will never get written until you're rebaptized. 
I'm not talking about general rededication. Everybody wants to be rededicated. Let's all get rebaptized together. I'm not talking about that. But those of you that know of what I speak, know of what I'm saying. You cut the tie. It's time to come back. It's time to come back. That's what Jesus is saying. It's the fourth gospel for a final generation. We can't say, well, that's just 2,000 years for that old Pharisee. No, that's for you and me. Step one, you must be born again. Step two, you must be born of water. Step three, write it down, you must be born again of the Spirit. Jot it down, please. Step three, you must be born again of the Spirit. Let's pick it up in verse five. Jesus said, Amen, Amen. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7, do not marvel that I have said to you, you all, by the way, in the Greek, it's plural, so I, I just scribbled it, you all must be born again. The wind blows, verse 8, where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus' inclusion with water baptism of spirit baptism frees us from the notion that if I go through the physical motions, ipso facto, automatically, I am now in the kingdom. It doesn't work that way. No. Jesus says, no. The only way this will work for you, of course you go through the water baptism, but the only way that water baptism works is if you allow my spirit to be at work in you. The, the, the Greek word for spirit is wind. You can go either way. Let the wind, as my Japanese friends say, let the kami, that's God, kaze, that's wind. Kamikaze, you remember that from history? Kamikaze, divine wind. Let the divine wind blow over you. He will achieve your rebirth. He will achieve your reconversion. He will achieve your renewal. Let the Spirit, you must be born of the Spirit, I'm taking this out of your hands. You cannot do this. It is an act of God that rebirths you. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. In fact, would you jot this down, please? You can no more rebirth yourself spiritually than you were able to birth yourself physically. No more. Some of you are studying your study guide real close, saying, where is he now? <laughs> when I was... Cutting and pasting the study guide together, I left that one out. But we got it in, so those of you live streaming, don't you be laughing over there. You have it. You have it right now. That's a key point. I want to put that back up. Would you guys up in the booth, please? I'll put that back up. You can no more rebirth yourself spiritually. That's a key point. You can't rebirth yourself spiritually any more than you birth yourself physically. How many, how many picked your mom and dad when you were born? How many picked your mom and dad? Not a hand goes up. Why? Because you had no choice. It happened all outside of you. That's the way it is in, in, the, in the second birth. It happens all outside of you. The power is outside of you. That's why Jesus says water and spirit. It's outside of you. Oh, desire of ages. I love this. Put this on the screen. You're going to have to fill this in. Jesus, speaking of this moment, desire of ages describing what Jesus is speaking of. The wind is heard among the branches of the trees. Don't you love lying in bed at night? Open window here in Michigan. You can just hear those trees speaking to each other. The wind is heard among the branches of the trees, rustling the leaves and flowers, yet it is invisible. And no man knows whence it comes or whither it goes. Ah, so with the work of the Holy Spirit upon the heart. It can no more be explained than can the movements of the wind. A person may not be able to tell. Some of you are going to find this very good news because people have said to you, hey, when were you saved? And you say, well, I, I, I'm really not sure. 
It's okay. Read this. A person may not be able to tell the exact time or place or to trace all the circumstances in the process of conversion, but this does not prove her to be unconverted, him to be unconverted, by an agency as unseen as the wind. And I love this. Christ is constantly working. Write it down. He is constantly working upon your heart and mind. He is constantly at work. There is never a moment when the mighty... Spirit of Christ is not right beside you speaking to you. He's constantly working. Little by little. Keep reading. Little by little, perhaps unconsciously to the receiver, impressions are made that tend to draw the soul to Christ. Now, I put the numbers in. These may be received, one, through meditating upon Him. Right in Him. That's Christ. These may be received, one, through meditating upon Him. Two, through reading the Scriptures. In your morning worship, when you're alone with Jesus and you're meditating on Him and you're reading the Gospels for your morning worship, that's when He speaks to you. He'll speak to you. One, in meditating on Him. Two, through reading the Scriptures. Or three, this one caught me by surprise. Or three, through hearing the Word from the living preacher. In other words, what's happening right now? These aren't God's words. These are very human words. But somehow God is able to take the human words and speak to your heart. That's how decisions are made in worship. That's why people are given invitations in worship. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's at work through a human. Through a human, the Holy Spirit's at work saying, that's you. That's you I'm talking about. Madam, that's you. Sir, I'm talking to you. Through a living preacher. That's why it's a humbling task to crawl up into this pulpit Sabbath after Sabbath. Trust me. There isn't a human being worthy to step into the pulpit and speak on behalf of God. But through the words. Suddenly, and here's how it goes. It's been happening over through weeks. Suddenly, as the Spirit comes with more direct appeal, the soul gladly surrenders itself to Jesus. By many, this is called sudden conversion. But it's not. It's a result of long wooing by the Spirit of God, a patient, protracted process. I like that. You now have that quotation. You can keep it. What's Jesus saying here? Look at verse 9. So as Nicodemus hears all this, Nicodemus answers in verse 9, and he said to him, How? Come on. How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, I love what Jesus does. He turns the tables around. You called me just a teacher. All right, just a teacher. Well, I'm going to reverse it, and I'm going to pay the compliment to you. How can you, the teacher of Israel, You're the great teacher, aren't you? How can you, the teacher... I'm just a teacher. How can you, the teacher of Israel... How are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Verse 11, most assuredly, here's the third time. Amen. Amen. Sit up and take note, reader. Most assuredly, I say to you, we, the Father and I, speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you, and it's plural there, so the NIV says, you people... Do not receive our witness, verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus says, listen. And you know, when we we hear earthly things, we're thinking, well, maybe he's talking about physical possessions and, and materialism and the accoutrements of this life. No, 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 no. When he says, I've just been talking to you about earthly things, he's talking about the esoteric subjects of how to be born again, how to be saved. But he lumps all of that. He says, that's elementary. You can't know the elementary. How am I going to explain to you the sublime themes, the, the love of God for a lost world? You won't understand it. Boy. He's not giving any wiggle room for this rabbi now. 
because he's moving in for the appeal. Verse 13, I'm going to help you. Here we go, he says to Nicodemus, I'll help you grasp the heavenly. Verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever, verse 15, believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Nicodemus knows well the story of the bronze serpent. You remember the story of the serpent? The, the, the vipers by the thousands slithering under the tent flaps of the belly aching and grumbling children of Israel. They're being bitten. Yeah, you remember the story. In fact, this week, wouldn't you know it, this week, cover of the South Bend Tribune. There's a, with picture, there is a full report on efforts being made to save the eastern Massasauga rattlesnake. The eastern Massasauga rattlesnake. It's the only poisonous snake in Michigan. Let me put a picture on the screen for you. That's the eastern, that's the eastern Massasauga rattlesnake. And looking at that picture, by the way, I would not be upset at all if it became extinct (laughs) in my neighborhood. All right? I don't want to wipe the species out, but in my neighborhood, you can have it in yours. That's the story. Vipers by the thousands slithering under the tent flaps into the sleeping bags. Fangs and poison. Deadly poison. The people panic and cry out to God. God hears them and He says, Moses, quick, quick, in the center of the, center of the camp, lift up a molded bronze serpent. And everyone who looks at that serpent will live. And they did. Who looked. Ah, Jesus says to Nicodemus, I am that brass serpent. And when I am lifted up, look and live. Look and live. In fact, would you jot that down, please? That's the point. Look and live is a code language only in the fourth gospel. And Jesus is the only one who uses it. Whenever you see look and live, and I have the references there, whenever those, when you see those words on his lips, he is describing, would you jot it down, please? It's code language for his own atoning crucifixion. As Moses lifted up the brass serpent, so the Son of Man will be lifted up high on that Roman cross. He will be lifted up so that all who look might live. Let me show you how he does it there in the last reference, John 12. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, Jesus speaking, I will draw all peoples to Myself. Now notice the next verse. This He said, signifying by what death? Roman crucifixion. By what death He would die. Lifted high on a Roman cross. Robert Smith in his commentary on John, Wounded Lord, the fourth gospel through the eyes of Thomas. Let me put the words on the screen for you. Jesus will be lifted up, Smith writes, as the bronze serpent was for the healing of God's people. His descent by incarnation and His ascent by means of the cross are love's triumphant course through the cosmos, gathering to God's bosom all who believe, blessing them with unconquerable life. Nicodemus is neither the first nor the last to shake his head at the message. But it's step four. Write it down. Step four. You must be born again at His cross. 
Can't get around the cross. Can't, can't detour around the cross. Nope, you can't. You cannot absent the cross from these five steps. I don't know how it works, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, how is Moses to explain? Hey, guys, you just look at this brass serpent. You look and you'll be saved. How does it work? It's too divine. But Jesus says, as I am lifted up, you look at me. Sheer, radical faith. You look up at me. You look at me. And I'll heal you. Just like that. You have to look at me, though. Look and live. Look at me and live. That's the point. Jot this down in your study guide, will you please? Born of water and born of spirit have neither meaning nor purpose. Without the human choice to trust in the Son of Man and Son of God who died upon Calvary. Jot that down. You're saying, I can't find it in my study guide. Well, that's the other one I missed. <laughs> I only miss it this time. There's no advance to eighth grade for me. It's just like you stay here until you get it straight, boy. So let's put it on the screen. Now, all the people on live streaming are getting this, and they have it in their study guide online. Okay, born of water. I want to repeat this. Born of water, as he told Nicodemus, born of spirit, have neither meaning nor purpose. Without the human choice to trust. Sheer radical faith. You have to trust Him. Trust in the Son of Man and the Son of God who died upon Calvary. That's the point. Faith is not your Savior. Faith cannot save you. But without faith, you will not be saved. Jesus is your Savior. But you have to exercise faith. Don't ask. Don't come to me and say, Dwight, how's it work? I don't know. I know that if you look, you live. If you believe, you live. Craig Keener, jot this down, will you please? Craig Keener, you do have this one. This passage clarifies the prerequisite for birth from above. Not mere faith in Christ in an abstract sense. Nor faith despite the crucifixion, but jot it down. Faith in the crucified Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, He is the only antidote for sin and sinners. The crucified Christ. Don't ever stop your gospel meditation till you get to Calvary. That's why I read Calvary every single day. Matthew 27, I read the story. Why? Because it's only at Calvary that the power is unleashed. That the Spirit unleashes the power. It's at the cross. You must be born again at His cross. You must pray, Oh my God. You see that in your study guide? Oh my God, my sins crushed out the life of my Savior at the cross, and I bow in penitence to receive His healing salvation. You ask, and it happens by faith. And then we end with a great verse. This is the most well-known text in all of sacred literature for God, verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There are no more sublime words in all of the annals of human literature than these words right there. Every child at his mother's knee memorizes these words if he has a believing parent. For God... Say it out loud with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. Step five, the last step, jot it down. You must be born again in His love. There it is. 
Absent the love of God, you won't get born again. You must be born again in His love. And how profound is this love that the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts? Uh, let me run these by you. From that, one of the most translated books in all of human literature, Steps to Christ, is up there, I don't know, fourth or fifth or third of the most translated books. Let me share with you three lines from Steps to Christ. The heart of God yearns over His earthly children with a love stronger than death. In giving up His Son, He has poured out to us all heaven in one gift. Praise God. All heaven in one gift. Here's the next line. Such love is without parallel. Four exclamation marks will now come. Children of the heavenly King. One. Precious promise. Two. Theme for the most profound meditation. Three. The matchless love of God for a world that did not love Him. Four. One more line. But this great sacrifice was not made in order to create in the Father's heart a love for us. Not to make Him willing to save us. No, no. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. John 3.16 The Father loves us not because of the great atoning sacrifice, but He provided the atoning sacrifice because He loves us. Christ, fill this in, I love this, Christ was the medium through which God could pour out His infinite, infinite love upon a fallen world. In that midnight tete-a-tete, Nicodemus was the first human being to ever hear those words, the utterance of this most sublime declaration of God's love. Say it again with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, no matter what you have done, it does not matter. God has poured out His love and His life to save the likes of you and me. And how shall we respond? Hmm? Step one, you must be born again. Rebirth, that's how you respond. Step number two, you must be born again of water. That's the personal response, physical, so that you go through it in outward motion that can be seen. Step number three, you must be born again of the Spirit. That's the inner divine renewing and reconverting. Step number four, you must be born again of this cross by faith. You trust, you look, and you live. And finally, step number five, you must be born again in His love. The Bible declares that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We can't even come up with repentance. It's all God. And it's God's love that draws us. Draws us. Why would a man, why would a woman, why would a young adult, why would a child say no? No, I won't come. Jesus' five steps into the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus took them. Did you know that? Nicodemus took them. No, he didn't take them right then. But over the months that would follow, this proud Pharisee, standing in the shadows of the sidelines, 
stared at this young Messiah, watched every move, analyzed, poured over the ancient Scriptures, and it's growing in his mind. He is who he said he was. By the way, Nicodemus, sitting on the Supreme Court, it was Nicodemus, to the chagrin of his colleagues, who would say, oh, excuse us, Brother Chairman, I have just a little point. Shall we try a man who has not been heard from yet? Time and again, the Spirit of God uses Nicodemus to thwart the efforts to destroy Christ. And that's why when they come to that final vote, guess who got uninvited to the Supreme Court? He wasn't there. He didn't even know they met. And they voted Jesus' execution. Nicodemus, on that long, dark, lonely Sabbath, Nicodemus, who broods over the evidence. And by the way, what the disciples interpreted as crushing their hope, Nicodemus embraces as confirming his faith. Nicodemus, who on Friday afternoon showed up with Joseph of Arimathea, wealthy man, the disciples had nowhere to turn. Nicodemus dips into his coffers with the bombs, with the spices to embalm the body. And after we are told that after the ascension of Christ, Nicodemus used his wealth to support the infant Christian church. He who had been revered, now hated in Jerusalem. He becomes poor of this world's goods, but he has become a radical follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was Nicodemus who took John Boy aside and said, John, I have to tell you about a midnight visit once upon a time. John dutifully wrote it down in the fourth gospel and by the millions, human beings have heard the life-saving story. You must be born again. I want to tell you something. I'm here today because of Nicodemus and I thank God for him. I have a feeling many of you are here today because of Nicodemus. And you join me, don't you, in thanking God for this proud Pharisee who found his Savior in the Messiah. At the bottom of that study guide, there's one more fill-in-the-blank. Would you pull your study guide out again, please? At the bottom of the study guide. I can't end this teaching without making an invitation, and I'm going to make it right now. If you have not been baptized by water baptism, immersed as Jesus was immersed, immersed as John the Baptist baptized, if you have not been baptized by water baptism, my friend, today is the day to decide. What's to lose? If you're born of water, you'll enter the kingdom. Not born of water, not born again. Not born again, no kingdom. If you've been putting off making a decision, would you mind taking your study guide out right now? And would you please just circle, I want to be baptized. Put your name, put your address, telephone number. We'll have ushers at the five doors as you leave. Just drop it in one of their little uh, containers. Just drop it. We want to assist you. Nobody's going to be baptized next Sabbath, so relax. But look, it. a decision as important as this, there's no point in putting it off another day. This will be the easiest you'll ever have it. Nobody's walking to the front. Nobody's watching. You're just filling that out and you'll turn it in. We'll be in touch with you. We want to make this the right next step for you. You've never been baptized before. You're watching on television right now. You're watching on live streaming. You say, Dwight, listen, what do I do? Listen, you have our website because you're on the website right now. You send. You send your decision. There's an email address on that website. You send it. We'll make sure that somebody's in touch with you. You're watching on television right now. 
You do the same thing. Go to our website. Send an email. We'll make sure that somebody's in touch with you. Why not? You haven't been baptized before? This is your golden moment. Do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it for you. Find the life, the full orb life that Nicodemus found. Now, one more appeal. If the Holy Spirit was speaking to you a moment ago when I talked about rebaptism, then I want to invite you today to make a decision. It's time to re-cement your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Everybody knows. So why not? This is not a call for general rededication. Oh, good, I want to be rededicating my life. Rebaptize me, will you? No. Rebaptism is for those who wish to be reborn after a fracture. Reborn. God doesn't care what fractured your relationship. Immaterial now. What counts is reborn. Rebaptized. You want to circle that word rebaptized? Rebaptized. You want to give it to me personally? I'll be standing down here at the front. You want to send it in the mail? I'll take it in the mail. But my friend, why put it off? And when the Son of Man is lifted up from the earth, all those who look will live. Born of the water, born of the Spirit, Born at the cross, born in His love.